MNK Talk YA now presents Sky in the Deep Part 2 by Adrian Young. to MNK Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished Adrian Young's book, Sky in the Deep. So she has two books that are companion novels, and this is the first one we read. And what did you think about it? So I think my feelings are pretty steady from last week. I think it was good, but not great. Mm-hmm. And... Like, I don't have a lot of complaints necessarily. It just, there weren't a lot of things that, like, really stood out to me either. I don't know. I agree with that. I would say I enjoyed reading it, but I don't know if it's a book that's going to, like, stick with me for a long time. You know, like, some of these books we read, like, I get really massive book hangovers and I, like, miss the characters. And I almost felt like, I mean, this is a standalone book, so it was only one, Mm -hmm. you know, one story, really. And... I thought the characters were good. Which is different, I guess. Most of these series we've lived in for at least for like a month or whatever, if not longer. And we've had all these cliffhangers and this just by nature of being a standalone is different than that, I guess. So we don't get a lot of time to spend with the characters. And I think that definitely made a difference in how I feel. I also don't think it was a character-focused book. It was much more like action-y sort of than character development focused i mean i would say like the characters definitely grew like the main thing of the book was like changing their views towards the rival clans but i would i agree it's not like i almost felt like the main character could be like anyone you know Mm -hmm. well and part of the like chain i like the idea of the change and it didn't not feel believable it just also for something about it still felt kind of like conflict free I mean I know it was hard because her loyalty was to her clan and they kind of explored that but maybe again maybe it's just because of some of these other books we've read or where they keep hitting more and more uh, in the course of a series obstacles or something but I sort of felt like it was relatively easy which sounds weird (laughs) no I, I get what you mean like there was one obstacle really right there was like one goal one problem the story was completely linear and I think for me my main issue was I predicted what was gonna happen in like the first 20 pages or so Mm -hmm. and I like you know how bad I am at making (laughs) predictions like I never get it right and so the fact that like I was able to see the ending kind of disappointed me a little bit because I'm kind of like okay if I got it, it it's it's pretty obvious yeah. Well, and I think, again, it, it. I guess, I think I talked about last time that I felt like it was kind of slow. I feel like there's a lot of buildup, but actually, like, the conflict and resolution all happened pretty quick. Like, the second half, <laughs> we, like, formed an alliance, or we had the raid, we formed an alliance, we attacked the enemy, defeated them, and, like, lived in peace. And so, by nature of doing all of that in such a short span especially compared to I think the pacing in the first half it sort of felt a little rushed like I was kind of like that's all like we already defeated them it was one battle yeah the battle was super short yeah and I don't know I always have these mixed feelings about 
these quick relationships because mm-hmm. part of me really like understood sort of that no I didn't really understand like her attraction to Fisk I sort of feel like it came out of nowhere like I didn't feel like they had actually had enough interaction yet I felt like they both loved her brother and that's what brought them together kind of but then yeah well because in the beginning at, at the first part of the book we thought that Fisk was in love with yeah yeah that's probably part of why I was confused because that's totally what I thought the first half and then I don't did you have a bonus scene in the back of your book no oh okay so I had a bonus scene and it was what's her name Aelin's Mm -hmm. time at the blacksmith from Fisk's Fisk's perspective so he removes her collar her slave's collar no the first time so when he hears her scream and then goes and buys her oh and you can, like, in the, in that scene, he kind of also mentions sort of that, like, feeling, like, you can sort of see that he's a little bit attracted to her, but I don't feel like we saw any of that until he, like, suddenly made a move and kissed her. <laughs> Agreed. And the kiss, yeah, the kiss kind of came out of nowhere for me, too. Yeah. Well, especially because it's like, I'm going to leave my family and I'm going to, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it felt it was... really intense <laughs> for how little buildup I felt like there was. I agree. I mean, but those situations, like, I guess I just wish they'd had a few more conversations that we witnessed because I like understand. Mm-hmm. I did. I like bought that they would have fallen. They would have become. Eventually. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. just sort of felt like I didn't see it happen or something. Yeah. And I mean, the book itself was short. You know, I think a lot of books we read are like, um, not, I would say, I wouldn't say they're like super long, but they're definitely longer than this one. This was like a very fast. This is on the shorter side of our stuff for sure. Yeah. Okay. And then the only other kind of question slash problem I sort of had with the plot was, so we get the Riki and what's, I forget what everyone is, the Riki and the Asuka together and they're fighting against the Herja, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I was a little bit, there was some, like, implication that the Herja weren't really people or that they, like, yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's why there wasn't the same feeling of, like, maybe they're also like us or something. But I didn't see enough of how they were not human (laughs) or that much more aggressive than all the other warring clans. And part of me was like, okay, if we just found out that, like, our enemies are also human and not that different from us, like, I don't know. I think these might be too. Yeah. I know. Like, I almost wish it had been more of, like, a peaceful solution or I don't don't really know how that would have worked in this case but it was sort of like okay so we learned not to judge everyone based on you know whatever but we're gonna judge this other group for the same exact thing Mm -hmm. I don't know yep I felt the exact same way because there wasn't magic in this book so it wasn't you know it wasn't like they were some magical creatures that were dangerous and not human like we didn't really you're right we didn't see any indication that they were just like another rival clan but there were a couple of comments made so maybe that was the implication but again just this book was really pretty fast so I it wasn't clear to me that they actually were somehow like evil spirits or something because <laughs> they could be killed and whatever yeah <laughs> really quickly <laughs> you can be killed real fast <laughs> I do think it's interesting that we did learn a little bit about more about them. So, like, we ended last week right at the Herja raid where they rush in and um, they send poor little Halvard into battle. Yeah, <laughs> but not even on purpose. He just had to defend himself, basically. But obviously right. the battle came to their door. And they kidnapped, the Herja kidnapped him. Mm-hmm. But, and the whole thing was like, oh, we really need to get him back because they don't just make slaves out of the people they kidnap. They actually sacrifice them yeah so i mean i guess we do learn that they do have like some different traditions that the rika the riki and the Aska don't share 
Yeah, but we even, the Riki and the Aska have different beliefs from each other. Maybe neither mm-hmm. one of them believes in human sacrifice, but even that, I'm not like 100% <laughs> clear. Because I think that was my other frustration. I mentioned this last week. As much as we got to see the Riki really well, and so we kind of saw Aelin thinking about how it was similar to her family, but we didn't really mm-hmm. actually see what the life in the Aska village was like. That's true. We left them so quickly in the first half. Yeah. I don't know. I think I like the world building. It just felt fast to me. So again, it was good, but I almost like I just kind of had more questions. Like I feel I feel like Adrian Young knows a lot more than ended up in the book. Like I feel like in order mm-hmm. to make some of this stuff work, she thought through a lot of things that just didn't end up in the book. But I would be like curious to hear more about some of the even the relationships. Like I was really interested in what's her name? Mira? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mira. And I don't know. I just, I, I feel like we like touched on a lot of things, but we didn't quite go to the depth I was hoping for. But in part, because I really like the character relationship stuff. And that was mm-hmm. not ignored in this book, but it wasn't the focus like some of the other books that we've read. Yeah, it wasn't as rich as some of the other books. Mm-hmm. For sure. I do, the one character I kind of wish we had gotten to learn a little bit more about was the Tawa the leader of the Asuka because I thought like I thought she was an interesting character because she's the one who has that dream of Aelin where she's with a bear and bears are like sacred to Thora and I didn't know what to think of that woman at first because in the scene from the last half where um Aelin was like tied to a tree I know left for dead and like the Tala saw it happen and just like didn't intervene and she said it was because she had to know for sure if Thora had favored Aelin and so she was almost like testing her yeah and I think that's another kind of opportunity where it could have gone a little bit deeper because we had some really good scenes with her Mm -hmm. the one you just mentioned the one where Aelin actually ends up saving her from the Herja right remember when she cut her free and then when they make the pact to bring the two clans together it's the two of them who do the blood promise or whatever yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. but I agree we like saw some really different sides of her but we didn't really get to know her or why she was on these sides and I kind of thought the bear thing would come back more I know we saw yeah the bear see her at the riverside one time but I kind of thought it would come back in the end or somehow I don't know I don't know well especially since yeah because like bears are sacred to their god Thora I guess and there's that moment where like Aelin finally praised to Thora which I think was kind of interesting and like that to me was the moment when she like fully accepted the Riki when she like ended up praying to their god yeah um but yeah I kind of wish that they had woven that bear motif in a little bit more yeah um I also wish that we had learned more about her father Agi because I really liked all the scenes that he was in and I um was so curious to um, see how he would react to, to knowing his son was alive. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it also seems like her family came around to the idea of helping the Riki pretty quickly. I mean, I know, like, she and Mira came to blows and, like, it took a while for her to trust them, but um, Agi was kind of just, like, so relieved that Erie was alive. He, like, they said he kind of, like, chose his son above his pride Mm-hmm. Which was, like, kind of nice, but I also wish that there had been, like, a little bit more of that tension, like... Or even if he... really trust Fisk? Even if he changed, he... Like, it was interesting yeah. that the rest of the clan just went along with it because he was one of their leaders, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of, like, they sent them away and said, like, kill them all, and then they came back and were allies, and it's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, yeah, again, it was just a little fast. 
But, the, I mean, I guess there is that moment, though, when Augie and Mira, like, conspire behind Aelin's back to kill Fisk. <laughs> yeah. So they were like, okay, we'll believe you. And then they were like, let's kill him when she's not looking. <laughs> um, but that was before Augie knew that Eri was alive. That's, like, what really swayed him, I think. Yeah, it was. But even, I don't know. I agree. There were a lot of these interesting potential family dynamics and stuff. I'm even considering Mira like a sister, basically, even though she wasn't blood related. And Mm -hmm. with who do you trust and who do you believe and what did you grow up with? And like, even with, like, Eerie definitely betrayed them, but Aelin came back and was captured. And and like, I don't know, I feel like there were a lot of things that were hinted at that weren't even fully explored. Like, even the fact that she had been a dire... A slave, yeah. Yeah, and it was apparently a big deal and they like mentioned her burns a few times so like everyone knew but they never actually like had a conversation about it really nope (laughs) they just kind of glared at each other i think at one point (laughs) they found out that fisk was the one who bought her and they were like wait what yeah and she was basically like long story it's all good now (laughs) and we're getting married (laughs) (laughs) i thought i don't even know if they're getting married or if they're just living together but yeah i mean i guess they're in love right yeah i mean i do like the idea of it kind of this book kind of reminds me a little bit of daughter of smoke and bone Mm-hmm. Just because uh, when we read that book, that whole that whole story was about like trying to find your commonalities instead of being at odds with someone and realizing that you have much more in common with each other than you think than than, the, than there are differences. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked the idea of that distinction of like we're going to be friends now instead of enemies or just choosing to like end censor- centuries and centuries of warfare and discord. It just it starts with a choice. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it's like one person on one side decides like enough. And I thought that idea was really strong in Daughter of Smoke and Bone. And I think we definitely saw it again in this book. Especially with her father, with Augie. He was like, like he could have flipped out over the fact that Eerie betrayed the clan and that she was a slave and like so many things. But he chose to choose his family over yeah, over his clan, which I think that's kind of good. Yep. No, that's true. And... We talked about this last week, but I still, I think after we talked about it, reading the second half and thinking about the role, how gender wasn't an issue in this book in a lot of ways. Like even the Tala was like the leader, but like in another village, a man was like, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't always a woman, but it wasn't a big deal that it was a woman. And Mm -hmm. I appreciated it even more after we kind of said it out loud and I like noticed it more as we kept reading. So agree what was your favorite scene so I think the scene I'd want to see most which maybe is different from my favorite scene would be I like was really curious about the Asuka hideout and I felt like it would have been really cool to like watch them go over the ledge and like find this hidden village basically yeah but I think or when they're on the frozen lake and seeing like the sky reflected back on the lake and kind of having that moment and they're in this like frozen wilderness and something about that I found really like I would want to see it on film or like the imagery was really cool Mm -hmm. yeah the landscape of this book was pretty cool I think yeah I don't know what my favorite scene would be I have a really terrible one what tell me (laughs) I really liked when they kidnapped that Herja man and um, they're questioning him and she rips out his eyeball (laughs) no 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 oh that made me squeamish I think what you said before about like just coming off of the Never Night series, yeah. I was like, yeah, finally some bloody action. Like I got so numb to it. It did bother me less than it would have <laughs> otherwise, I think. But 
That was my favorite scene. <laughs> that was one I would not want to see on on film. But yeah. So what research did you do this week? Anything exciting? Okay, so no, not really. <laughs> uh, just being honest. So I kind of went off on this tangent with, and this is actually really from the first part of the book, when she's tied up in the forest. And I think we've actually looked mm-hmm. into like hypothermia. I know we at least talked about falling into cold water and stuff before, but mm-hmm. I was reading just a lot more about freezing yeah. to death. Oh no. And like what happens to you and some of that stuff. But then, okay, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But okay. then that brought me to this article about the 10 worst ways to die, of which one of them was freezing to death. Oh. But another one was die of embarrassment, and it was kind of jokey. But then it was talking about how you actually can die of embarrassment. So then I was reading about people, <laughs> <laughs> or like how it's possible to die of embarrassment. So. Okay, wait, can I pick which one I want to hear about first? Sure, yes. Um, I want to hear about... The top 10 worst ways to die first. Okay. Well, one of them is dying of embarrassment and one of them is dying, freezing to death. Okay. Next eight. (laughs) Okay. So we also have, and I can go into more detail on any of these if you want, but starving to death, which I think we've talked about a little bit. Like you can actually go a pretty long time without food, but. It'd be so painful. Yeah. So. Think how painful it is when you're just like, you haven't eaten in like, you know, six hours or something. Well, it says, so you can live for over 60 days without food, but after less than a week, your body basically starts to feed off stored fat and the liver starts to panic and produce all these harmful toxins and you start losing 18% of your body weight within a month. And basically, again, your body just starts to consume itself because it needs energy. So like it eats your muscles and... I don't know. You can... Oh, that's so crazy because it's trying... Your, like, body's organs are, like, trying to preserve themselves, and that's how they do that. Well, and that's what's kind of interesting about freezing to death, too, a little bit. Like, what Mm -hmm. happens with your body... Like, basically, the body has a lot of defense mechanisms to try and preserve the most important functions as long as possible, but that... Some of these slow, painful deaths actually sound worse than... You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, another bad way to die would be adrift at sea, which we've also talked about extensively mm. in our research before, because um, of like dying of dehydration. Yeah. So the funny thing is, that's really could be one of the many things. That's kind of like a cop out. You don't actually die from being adrift at sea. If you're adrift yeah. at sea, you could likely die of starvation, <laughs> dehydration, a shark, uh, hypothermia, the <laughs> okay. sunburn. Like, there's a lot of things that can happen to sunburn. you because you're adrift at sea. Then fall into a volcano is on the list. <gasps> But wouldn't it be super fast? So you would think so. But because of the relative density of lava, if you were to fall into a volcano, you will probably not be swallowed up like... Instead, you'll land on top and the la- on the lava and basically burst into flame. Whoa! Yes. So I guess this one scientist threw a 66-pound bag of food into a volcano. Okay. And found that Just some... Just like see what would happen? I don't know why he did this. <laughs> But he did, and I, I guess it proved that sometimes the crust can be penetrated by organic matter, aka humans could fall in, call, mm. fall through, but it would just, like, be slow. It wouldn't be like you fall into the water, you know, and you just, like, go under. It would be like... You'd, you'd lay on top and, like... Burn. Writhe in burning flames. Yes. Oof. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, that sounds pretty terrible. Wait, can I guess what some of the other ones are? Sure, but they're all kind of weird. But yes, guess. Being eaten alive by some animal. Close. Oh, no, actually, that one is on here, too. Eaten by animal. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be the worst, I think. I think that would be the worst for me. They also have been crushed to death, such as execution by elephant. What? Was that a thing? 
So I guess in the late 19th century, sometimes criminals were tied to the leg of an elephant by the waist and they had to like walk through the city and then the criminal had to kneel and put his head on a stone while the elephant crushed the head under his foot. Shit. And the elephant was probably like, why are you bringing me into this? (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, What else is there? Any other guesses? Oh, oh, oh. Um, How many are left? Um, One, two, three. Uh, Suffocating? Nope. Drowning? Nope. This is just one person's list, by the way. These all sound terrible, like, ways to die. So plane crash made the list. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sacrifice made the list. Human sacrifice? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you're captured by the Herja. I don't think that's common these days, but um, yes. And torture was the last one on the list. Oh, yeah, that would be that would suck. Although, remember, we did learn about human sacrifice for, I forget what book it was, and we learned about, like, that one group where, like, you basically live like a king for a year. That's true. Before your sacrifice. So, yeah, you know, we should get a, a really great year out of it. And again, I still feel like that's kind of a cop-out answer, because depending on how you're sacrificed... Totally. I mean, it's not that I want to ever be sacrificed, but to your point, you could, like, live for a year and die quickly. Eh, I mean, live as a king for a year versus, like, a slow, torturous death by some other means and I don't know. Yeah, I think I would choose that over being eaten by lions or something or having my head squashed by an elephant for sure. Yeah. But what about dying of embarrassment? Okay, yeah, okay, I'm interested in this now. How do you die of embarrassment? Okay, so there's actually two ways. One directly and one less direct. So (laughs) it's pretty rare in general, but apparently in the British Medical Journal in 1860, there was a housemaid who was caught Mm. stealing food from the larder, and she dropped dead on the spot when she was caught. And for a long time, doctors couldn't figure out why she had died at all, but the belief now is that it was a sudden rush of adrenaline basically the same Mm. that you'd feel in any like stressful situation or embarrassing situation and that that's how she died so it was more like stress induced yeah so it's basically like extreme things that happen when you're embarrassed in terms of yeah like a surge of adrenaline in your bloodstream too much adrenaline can kill you so you can go to cardiac it makes sense you can yeah have cardiac reactions to that yeah it stops your heart and then but this was also interesting which i didn't think about but another less direct way to die from embarrassment is if you have an embarrassing medical condition that you're afraid to report or get treated and you wait until it's too late so i guess there was a survey that found that embarrassment about bowel cancer costs thousands of lives a year and another one found that um, this was from john hopkins university found that many young people in the u.s are dying prematurely of aids because of embarrassment of getting treated yeah or just like fear or um, yeah didn't want to admit it or didn't want to find out or didn't want to ask for help or whatever it was but embarrassment which really says more about society as a whole that i know like we need to erase some stigmas around certain things yep Yep, but, but yeah. I also read that um, somewhere that like embarrassment or like feeling humiliated is the most intolerable emo- emotion for humans to feel. Like it trumps the pain of being sad or being angry or being like, or feeling betrayed. Like it is, it is the worst feeling for a human to feel. I feel like being embarrassed feels like such a lack of control. Like being sad, I don't know. I guess be, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. I could see that. Mm, yeah. Like I feel like if I'm angry, I know how to react or like it makes me want to do something. <laughs> if I'm sad, I just want to like 
wallow. If I'm embarrassed, <laughs> I like don't even know how to handle the situation. You know what I mean? I know. I'm, all right. Tell me one of the most embarrassing stories you have. Oh, that's such a good question. Well, this one isn't even that bad, but this one's the first one that came to mind. So okay. first of all, I went to nerd camp. So I spent a summer at cryptology <laughs> camp, which I think I've talked about on this podcast before and I was trying to take a picture of like a group of people and there was a tv mounted on the wall and I was trying to back up to get everyone into into the picture and I walked into the tv and like cut like right near my eye at the top of my head it wasn't even that big of a deal but it was a big group of people and they're all like oh you have to go to the nurse and I'm like okay I'll go get a band-aid but they all decided to come with me and we're like on the other corner of campus so then like more and more people see this huge crowd walking so basically like the whole camp ends up at the nurse's station not sure why they're all there they're just like following the crowd and then it's like and then you're just like oh I don't know so like everyone knew my story about how I like I ran into a tv and I need a band-aid and like but it was just like (laughs) so public and so I don't know. And, and then, like, those situations, you just want to, like, disappear off and take care of it yourself, not have, like, a crowd. Exactly. And I don't do well with blood, so, like, you know, just, like, it wasn't a big cut or anything, but just, like, I didn't want people around because I start getting really weird, and I was trying to, like, be cool in front of these new friends, and it was, like, my, I don't know. And, like, the fact that that happened, what, when I was, like, 14, and I still remember yeah. it vividly, like, says something. What about you? Oh, my gosh, I know. you can You can, like... Like, the moments where you've been embarrassed, like, you you never forget them, honest to God. Like, I could still make that walk from that dorm to the nurse if I needed to. Yes! (laughs) Okay, um, I would say (laughs) my most embarrassing moment was, um, well, I was the drum major of our marching band in high school, so... I'm I'm a fellow nerd with you. (laughs) But with actual talent. (laughs) Yeah. And this was like, it must have been like very early 2000s, late 90s. We um, were doing a Michael Jackson themed halftime show, right? Mm-hmm. And my band director like thought it would be a great idea if like everyone on the field did a dance. And since I was the drum major, he was like, you should totally dress up like Michael Jackson and you can do like a moonwalking dance. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Like that sounds like fun. So I (laughs) dressed up like Michael Jackson, like in Thriller. I learned how to moonwalk and I I was drum major with this other girl too. So like both of us were like co-drum majors. And so we like got these shoes where we like schlacked the bottom of them to make them like really slippery so we could moonwalk on the field. Mm -hmm. And we were both like dressed up like Michael Jackson. And um, (laughs) so it was like the first day we were performing this uh, show and it was homecoming week Um, and so it was like a big big event in our school like it was a home game like everyone was super excited we were all like so excited to be doing this show and and (laughs) the show started with us in the middle of the field and um, we were supposed to like do our moonwalking dance and then like run to the front of the field and like start conducting whatever Mm -hmm. but it had been raining the night before like really badly and the field was really really slippery and muddy and like in the middle of the moonwalk sequence I fell like flat on my face oh no but then the problem was because our shoes were so slippery like we purposely (laughs) made them slippery I couldn't get traction to get back up So I kept like, you know, when you like are stepping and then falling and then stepping and falling, like I could not get my feet under me. And so I had to crawl off the field. (laughs) That is great. And the only thing that made it like 
like I was laughing when it happened, but it was just like this is completely humiliating. But the only thing that made it better was the other drum major had also fallen. <laughs> like she fell like f- like a good five seconds after I did. So it almost looked like it was intentional. Well, except that we were both like flailing around <laughs> in the mud and like couldn't get back up. <laughs> But there is something about having more people in the same boat as you, for sure. Yes, yes. If it had been just me, it would have been, like, truly, truly mortifying. But the oh, fact that, this. like, I had a buddy, I, I got through it. I think I've told this story, too, but you just reminded me of... So I <laughs> spent a different summer in the Alaskan wilderness, which I was totally underqualified to do. And I was, like, the youngest and the smallest person in our group, and I was following my friend up this like snow hill so it was like at an mm. incline and because the snow was so heavy he was going first and he was like kicking in shelf like steps to like everywhere he oh, would step yeah. he'd like kick a little shelf and that was supposed to step where he was but he had a yeah. much bigger stride than me so I <laughs> couldn't reach one and I like fell forward which was fine so but I couldn't my backpack was so heavy I couldn't stand up so and everyone and like I was the second person in line so everyone is behind me and like lower down than me and they're like oh just take off your backpack and then like stand up and we'll hand it to you which is already embarrassing enough so I undo my backpack Mm -hmm. and I guess in the process of unbuckling the strap near my waist I also unvelcroed my pants without realizing it and so I stood up and my pants stay down and everyone's like basically at my no. butt level or, you know, like I'm like above everyone. <laughs> and so that was really embarrassing too. Oh gosh, that's awful. That <laughs> reminds me of um, Allison's story about, did she ever tell you that story about when they were in like, I forget, it must have been like Costa Rica or something, but they she was on like a school trip and they were in the jungle and this one girl was wearing these like brightly colored yoga pants and for some reason um, a whole swarm of bees like went after her pants. Oh no. And they swarmed her pants oh, and she no. like, fell on the ground and this boy who was like in her class like he was trying to help and the only thing he could think to do was like get the pants off her <laughs> so he just like pulled her yoga pants off but they were yoga pants so she wasn't wearing anything underneath them (laughs) so it was like attacked by bees then have a strange boy rip your pants off and then you are like pantless in the middle of a jungle (laughs) in front of like all your friends oh my goodness oh that's pretty bad the i just in general can't like pronounce things or like i don't know celebrities so there's also just a lot of just embarrassing times when i'm like in a normal conversation and everyone gives me a look like that is oh, no. you do not know this reference or you cannot say that word or and i told you my pot story right yes yeah <laughs> how i didn't know yeah uh-huh. anyways so i do embarrassing things all the time me too the trick is just to stop being embarrassed <laughs> and i'm really clumsy so like that doesn't even embarrass me for the most part as long as like my clothes are still on it's fine <laughs> it's just normal <laughs> i routinely wear my clothes backwards and inside out by accident not on purpose <laughs> but that's always very embarrassing when i'm like sitting at breakfast at work and people are like yeah your shirt's inside out dear I'm like oh i was gonna say i always feel like i recognize it when i can't do anything about it for like i'm in a meeting or yeah. like or i'm about to give a presentation or something and i'm like what do i do and like probably no one else well it depends on what it is but oh, yeah, sometimes it's very worst. obvious yeah i know i was thinking about that <laughs> listen i get dressed in the dark at 5 45 in the morning like accidents are gonna happen yeah or wearing mismatched shoes or anything like that yeah Anyways, we're embarrassing people. 
Cool. But we have not yet died of embarrassment. No, not yet. Thank God. So that's good. Yeah. Do you want to know anything about freezing to death? Or should we keep it on the lighter note and you can tell me about your research? Or <laughs> I'll tell you about my research. Okay. My research is like not that exciting, but I was intrigued by the bear story about how like bears were an omen of change mm-hmm. for the Riki. And so I looked up um, 10 animals, 10 animals and what they mean when they cross your path. Ooh. So like 10 animal omens. Like a black cat? Mm-hmm. That's one of them. So the first one is an owl. Hmm. So if you see an owl, that's meant, they're traditionally believed to be harbingers of doom, but also carriers of wisdom. So those seem like opposites. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they said that like, if you see an owl, it's trying to warn you about something that's coming. So like they're wise because they have this knowledge of what's to come, but also... It's, it's something huge, and it can either be for good or for bad. Okay. So if you see an owl, it means expect... Change. Expect some change. Some, something big. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be bad, but it's they say it's life-changing. Well, I was going to say, a lot of people think, or a lot of people at least initially react poorly to change, right? Even people who like, ch- like, it, change is just a hard thing to deal with, even if it's a positive change, I think. Okay, the next one is spiders. Okay. So, spiders... If you see a spider, it's trying to remind you of a friend that you've lost. Oh, I like that. I should tell James because yeah. he's terrified of spiders and I find it kind of funny. It also could mean that they're trying to tell you that you're going to meet a new friend. Ooh. But in general, they're considered lucky because they're associated with friendship. What about, I'm trying to guess some, are crickets on your list? Hmm, let me see. No, but we have some insects. Mm-hmm. We have... Ladybug? Dra- yeah, yes. ladybugs. What's the other one? So, good luck. <laughs> We all knew that. Yep. But they also are messengers of joy. That's fair. So if you see a ladybug, it means that it's um, good news is to come. Uh, the other insect is a dragonfly. Hmm. What does that mean? So dragonflies are connected to fairies, apparently, and they are they are known to be uh, or believed to be messengers or spirits from our ancestors. So um, deceased loved ones who are giving you strength or wisdom if you're going through a tough time. I like it. Mm-hmm. You said cats, right? Cats are yeah. one of these. Well, I've, I've heard black cat is bad luck, right? Or something like that? Yeah. Actually, so a cat is the symbol of intuition. Okay. So if a cat appears out of nowhere, it means that you need to stop and listen to your, your instincts or listen to your heart. Okay, so what if we've been, we think there's a cat somewhere in our neighborhood who's been crawling on James's car, but we've never seen it. We've seen like foot oh. pr- cat prints in on the car, but not a what cat. What is your intuition telling you? <laughs> I should become a full-time book reader, I guess. That's Perfect. what it means. <laughs> that sounds great. I fully support that. Um, I didn't know this, but they say black cats symbolize a change in luck. So... It actually means like if you're having a run of good luck and you see a black cat, it means bad luck is to come. But if you're experiencing a run of bad luck and you see a black cat, it actually means that your luck's going to change for the better. Oh, so that so I actually shouldn't be avoiding black cats. I should be trying to find them. <laughs> if you're in a stump of bad luck, then yes. Go find as many black cats as you can. <laughs> I feel like medically and stuff, I've had some bad luck. So Yeah. <laughs> 
Want me to get you a black cat? What if I just sent you a black cat in the mail? James would be like, what? Okay, so crows are ravens. Ooh, yeah. Historically, they are they have a bad reputation of meaning death or like dark magic, but they're actually the personification of truth. So if you see a crow, it means that truth is going to be revealed to you soon. Okay, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So you grew up believing in Santa Claus, right? Mm-hmm. Did your mom ever tell you that the black crows were going to report to Santa if you were good or bad? Oh, God, no. That's <laughs> terrifying. Because I guess, I don't know if this is common for other people or if it was, like, common in our region or anything, but, like, right around, when it started getting cold, there'd be a lot of, like, black crows in mm. the area when we were growing up, and my mom would be like, they're Santa's watchers or helpers or something. So, like... Oof. As, like, another reason to, like, be a good girl in the wintertime. Before Elf on the Shelf was a thing? Yeah, it was before Elf on the Shelf. It was much easier for my mom to do that. Totally. <laughs> no, I've never heard of that, but... I have no idea if that... it worked. <laughs> that could just be my mom one day and it's, like, stuck with me, or it could be something in Atlanta, or it could be, I don't know. But, yeah, that's what I always think of when I see blackbirds now. Santa's watching. <laughs> okay, rabbits... Hmm. seeing a rabbit is considered to be an omen of fertility and abundance interesting okay and rabbit feet are good luck right yes apparently that was like a thing when i was little was like you had a lucky rabbit's foot which is really disgusting if you think about it yeah yeah it really is especially for kids who like also probably want pet rabbits yeah (laughs) okay seeing a lizard lizards are i see lizards all the time I hope it's good. Oh, okay. Well, it says lizards symbolize the dream world. So if you see a lizard, it's an omen that you have to pay more attention to your dreams. Okay. So it says like, try to be more organized, um, get a dream journal, start writing down your dream history um, because your dreams are trying to tell you something. I have very vivid, weird dreams regularly, so... Okay, start a dream journal. Yeah, usually I just wake up and I tell James, and then I'm like, what did you dream about? And he's like, I literally can't think of the last time I remembered a dream. <laughs> you are weird. <laughs> um. Okay, snakes. Snakes symbolize Mother Earth and nature. They're a symbol of creativity, wisdom, and power, essentially. So it's basically like embrace your inner nature, I guess. Okay. That one's kind of boring. It's just funny to think a little bit because, like, different animals are common in different areas, right? Like, I see lizards. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw a lizard. <laughs> but, like, I don't see deer or I see... Oh, deer are on here. Oh, were they? Yeah. So deer means that... If you see a deer, it means that the heavens or, like, um, God knows that you're going through something tough and you could and you should consider... You should continue facing those problems with grace and dignity. That's a nice message. Yeah. I like the ones that are like dead family members visiting you. Yeah. That's, that's just cool. like a nice, I don't know, thing. Cool. That was my research. But bears weren't on the list. No, they weren't. So this was part of the legend of the world. So sh- did you come up with a fan name by any chance? Oh, no. But I didn't either. <laughs> we have two books and we're not sure how they're connected yet. So it's way t- I was just thinking that would be t- much too premature. Should we wait then? Okay. That's fine. I think we should wait for the second for the, to read the second book, too. Uh, I really just forgot, but I stand by my <laughs> statement anyways. <laughs> what else do we have to do? It's too early to do a rating, then. Too early to do a fan name. I guess we just have to talk about the next book. 
I know, because I feel like once we read the back, let's talk about how connected or not connected we think okay. they are, because I'm just so curious what it means to be a companion novel. Again, my guess is same world, but different characters, but I don't know if that's... That's what I'm guessing, but I haven't even cracked the spine on this book. Yeah, me either. Okay, so this next book is called The Girl the Sea Gave Back, which I love that title. Which I, I know, I love, and the cover looks cool, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want me to read the inside cover? Sure. Here we go. Okay, Tova was a child when she was discovered washed ashore in a half-burned boat by the Sabel clan. The sacred symbols and staves inked over every inch of her skin mark her not only as a member of the Kerr, but as a truth tongue. The Svel believed her cursed, forsaken by her own people. But Tova's ability to cast the rune stones and interpret the web of fate woven by the spinners makes her valuable. Until the day she foresees the Svel's destruction, compelling them to wage war. Across the valley, the rival Aska and Rinki clans have lived peacefully for more than ten years as a new people, the Nadir. But when Svel raiders attack and a village's inhabitants are slaughtered, Halvard! Halvard comes back! Oh man! Halvard believes there may be a way to avoid war. Chosen to be the Nadir's next chieftain, he convinces his elders to negotiate with the Svel before more blood is spilled. His hope for a truce is shattered when the Nadir are discovered by their enemies. Are, de- are deceived by their enemy and ambushed without mercy. But there is more to Tova's prophecy than bloodshed. As long as Halvard lives, his people have a future. And if what Tova sees in the runes is true, her own path is interwoven with his. Now she must find the courage to free herself from the only family she's ever known in order to fulfill her own fate. Oh my god, I'm so excited. We get Halvard, we get some Riki clans, we get... 10 years have gone by so we get to see everyone and like what what they've been doing the last 10 years yes this i'm excited and your book your inside cover tells a lot more than the back of mine did so i actually am really glad that you read it because i didn't know some of these things so that's what we mean by companion book okay great so it's like a secondary character is now a major character and it significant time has changed and we're yeah okay cool love it and we're gonna read up to chapter 17 if you're following along Okay. Cool. Do you have a joke for me this week? Oh, I do actually. I don't know why I said it like that. Oh no, where'd it go? These are more Viking jokes. Didn't we tell Viking jokes last time? Uh huh. Which famous Viking men were born on your birthday? Mm, I I don't know. None. Only babies are born. Oh. (laughs) That's such a dad joke though. That is such a dad joke. What kind of dog do Vikings like most? Mm, I don't know. Hot dogs. Great Danes. Oh, I should have gotten that one. Yeah, those are my the best two I saw. I like that. All cool. right. Anything else? Well, if you got no, I don't think so. If you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. Tell us your most embarrassing stories. Yes, please do. Um, we would love to hear them. I think it helps you avoid dying from embarrassment to share them with your favorite podcasters. I think I read that somewhere <laughs> when I was doing my Really? Research. Okay. <laughs> Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.